Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. This week, we're going to be continuing the Christ-Centered Mentoring Series and talking about the battle over souls. Each of us have people in our lives, whether friends or family or coworkers, that God will specifically burden our hearts to reach if we are in tune with His Spirit. So we're going to be talking about that. Before we dive in, I wanted to encourage you to think about joining us next year at Ellerslie for a set-apart season of Going Deeper with Jesus. We have week-long and five-week programs available, and registration is now open. So if you are interested in a season away from the stress and busyness of your daily life to really immerse yourself in truth and gain a strong foundation for wherever God is leading you, go to ellersley.com or just click the link in this podcast description if you'd like to learn more. We'd love to see you in Colorado this next year and invest into your spiritual life. Let's talk about the battle over souls. When it comes to impacting others for eternity, it is so important to get God's burden for their souls and not just look at the ways in which they might be wrong, the ways that they might be not seeing clearly and focusing on their faults and their flaws and their failures and how we see things so much more clearly than they do. That may be true, but it is really easy to lose sight of God's incredible love for them and his incredible burden for them. In today's culture, we are so often preoccupied with winning an argument and proving that we are right, that we are on the right side of truth, that we sometimes forget that there is a spiritual battle over these lives. So it's not just about debating with them and arguing with them and trying to win them over with our words. We need to fight this battle with the spiritual tools that God has given us and not just with human wisdom. As I've talked about in other episodes, there are a lot of overlooked mission fields all around us. For example, a number of years ago, I did a few episodes on reaching today's young women. And young women in our culture today are an incredible mission field. There is really a life or death battle over the lives of young women. I remember seeing two different documentaries around the same time, quite a number of years ago, that really awakened me at an even deeper level to the incredible spiritual battle over teen and college age young women. One was about a true story of something that had happened in a wealthy suburb in the United States of just a huge outbreak of STDs because of the extreme immorality that was going on behind the scenes in these young women's lives. And their parents didn't know. They just kind of had this secret life behind the scenes. And the health department had to come, and it was a crisis. Most of these young women went to church, came from well-to-do homes, went to good schools. So people just had no idea what kind of spiritual battle they were facing and the kind of lifestyle that they were being pulled into. It was really just an incredibly poignant reminder of that. Another documentary that I saw talked about how so many young women are caught up in just the heart-wrenching abortion issue and how they're often being targeted very strategically and pressured and coerced. And having counseled young women for so many years, I know that I've seen that scenario over and over again. And a lot of times these young women are girls that go to church or live down the street, and we never would realize the incredible heartache or pressure or devastation or despair that they're going through in dealing with sexual activity, unwanted pregnancies, the issue of abortion, etc. So that's just one example of a mission field that we might not even be seeing that is right in front of us. And it's really vital as we see the culture becoming more and more dark, and maybe people in our lives getting caught up in some of the lies that are being just promoted by our culture, 
it's so important that we don't just become consumed with being right as much as we are consumed with fighting for the souls around us and really, really seeing God rescue them with his incredible truth. He is the only one who can truly set free and bring hope in the midst of a great darkness. And as I've said before, that scripture in James is such a great reminder. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness that God desires. We sometimes think if we storm into somebody's life or into an argument or a debate with with just human anger and all these incredible, brilliant reasoning skills, we can win someone over. But it says if, if we're coming into a situation like that with human anger and frustration, it's not going to produce the righteousness that God desires, whether it's in their life or in our lives. So let's prepare our hearts to enter the battle for souls for the glory of God. And I'd like to share with you some practical ways that have been so critical for me in these past 27, 28 years of being in Frontlines Christian Ministry. How can I maintain God's heart for the souls that he's called me to reach rather than just kind of go through the motions or try to prove that I'm right to someone who disagrees with me? Here are some of the ways that have helped me. And the first one is to prepare my own soul. We need to realize that there is a preparation that God wants to take us through if he's calling us into any kind of ministry or discipleship or mentoring or simply just being a Christ-like example to someone in our life, we need to prepare our soul. When we say yes to God's call to go after a soul, we need to remember we're entering a battleground. And I've had to learn the hard way that if I attempt to enter that battleground and fight for souls expecting it to be easy, I'm going to be knocked off my feet as soon as I try to start. If we go in ready for a spiritual battle and armed with the tools, the spiritual tools that God has given us, that's when we have the strength to become more than a conqueror, no matter how many challenges we face, no matter how much resistance spiritually we might come up against. And one of the ways God has challenged me to use the spiritual tools available to me is first and foremost, close off enemy access points in my own life. Now we've done other episodes on spiritual warfare, and this is such a critical one that I've talked about before. If we are allowing sin, habitual sin, and just sloppiness spiritually into our lives, we are going to give the enemy access into our soul and put a hindrance in our relationship with Christ. And that does not set us up well to fight for souls for the glory of God. So it's really important, I have found, to just let God gently shine his searchlight into my soul and say, Lord, please show me if there's any area in my life that I'm giving ground to the enemy, that I'm allowing the enemy to have his way because I am not sharp spiritually. I become sloppy and dull and maybe just a little bit lax with my spiritual life or things, habits and things that I've been allowing in that are not glorifying to God. And God is always so faithful to bring those things to the surface, not in a condemning way, but in a gentle way. And then I make those things right and I take back the ground that I've given to the enemy in those areas. And then I'm so much more spiritually ready to go into a battle for other people's soul. When we have closed up enemy access points in our own lives, we have uprooted the things that God brings to the surface, we then have the power through Jesus Christ to proactively resist the enemy and not allow him to interfere with the ministry that we have to others. And a lot of times when I'm going into a a ministry time or a conversation, a discipleship situation, I will take that step in advance to resist the enemy and remind him that he has no right to interfere or hinder the work that God wants to do. And it makes an incredible difference. Another way that we prepare our own soul for ministry and for discipleship 
is to let God purify our motives. I have found that it's very easy to go into ministry for the wrong reasons, especially today with social media and the ability to sort of showcase what we're doing in ministry. It's easy to envision receiving applause or recognition or gaining a sense of personal fulfillment by getting involved in some kind of meaningful work that makes us feel like we're doing something good for the glory of God. But if we get involved in any kind of ministry simply for the sake of our own fulfillment, we are going to get burned out. We are not going to have the spiritual strength that we need because it's not about the glory of God. It's for selfish reasons. We need to remember that choosing ministry means purposely choosing a harder road. It's not supposed to be easy. It is going to be difficult if it's truly for the glory of God. And he needs to purge any selfishness in our motive and replace it with a desire to bring glory to him. As as the theme goes that I've mentioned so many times on this podcast, I must decrease that he, meaning Jesus, would increase. That was the theme of John the Baptist's life, and that needs to be the theme of our life and ministry as well. Everything we do, including ministry and discipleship, has to be about him and not us. When we take those steps to prepare our soul, to resist the enemy, to close off enemy access points, and to let God purify our motives, to allow him to give us that singular eye for his glory, we are then ready to go into battle. Another key practical is not to underestimate prayer. Now, I've talked about this plenty of times on this podcast, but it's definitely worth repeating. It says in 1 John 5, 16, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. I love that scripture because we so often get disturbed when we see sin in other people's lives, when we see spiritual strongholds, when we see them being blinded by the deceit of the culture. And yet this verse is clearly telling us that when we see compromise in someone's life, prayer should be our first turn. Prayer is a powerful weapon, and we are putting confidence then not in our debate skills, not in our ability to win someone over. We are putting confidence in him. As it says in the beginning of this verse, this is the confidence that we have in him. We often want to rush into a situation like that and use human wisdom or even react in anger and criticism and thinking that somehow that's going to make some kind of difference in their life. But as we said before, the wrath of man, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's from James 1.20. Prayer is a far more powerful weapon than our words are ever going to be. Words are important and they need to be glorifying to God and they need to be words of truth. But I have found that prayer is the tool that prepares the soil of a person's soul so that they can actually hear and receive truth. I would encourage you to take time to wrestle in prayer for any soul that God has burdened you for. If you have a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor or anyone in your life that God has put a burden on your heart for them, spend time in advance wrestling in prayer, not just say, saying a prayer here and there, but really getting on your knees and wrestling and travailing for their soul. Because when you lay that foundation of wrestling prayer, it's incredible. When you go into the situation to speak truth into their lives, there is spirit ground that has already been gained. And a lot of times that person, the, the soil of their heart has been prepared through prayer and they respond and they receive truth in a way they never would have if we hadn't taken the time to put our confidence in Jesus Christ and wrestle in prayer for God's purposes to be accomplished in that person's soul. 
I love this very convicting statement from Hudson Taylor. Perhaps if there were more of that intense distress for souls that leads to tears, we should more frequently see the results we desire. Sometimes it may be that while we are complaining of the hardness of the hearts of those we are seeking to benefit, the hardness of our own hearts and our feeble apprehension of the solemn reality of eternal things may be the true cause of our want of success. Wow. I get convicted every time I read that. Sometimes it's while we're complaining about other people's hardness of heart, we are not recognizing that our own hearts are hard, that we are just coming in there with anger or pride or selfishness rather than saying, Lord, you are the only one who can rescue this soul and I'm going to wrestle for your purposes to be accomplished in their lives. John Hyde was a missionary who was known for his incredible ability to spend hours and hours and hours in wrestling prayer, prayer for other people's souls. And he was in such travail with God over the lost souls around him that toward the end of his life, it put such a strain on his heart that it actually moved his heart from one location in his in his chest cavity to the other location, like from the one side to another, because he was so intense about his prayer for these people. And that's the kind of wrestling that I don't really feel like I can personally relate to yet. I haven't wrestled to that level, but it is very inspiring to me that he would have such a commitment to pray and pray and pray until the breakthrough came, even when it cost him physically to pray that way. So don't underestimate the power of prayer. We are not putting our confidence in what we can say or do to change someone. We are putting our confidence in a mighty, powerful God who cares more about these people or this person than we ever could. And that's where the battle is won, is on our knees. Another key way that we prepare for this battlefield is to learn how to lead by example. People around us cannot just hear our convictions spoken. They need to see our convictions lived out. Some studies recently have shown that close to 80% of young people who grow up in the church are leaving Christianity in their college years, and it causes us to ask the question, why? As I've conversed with so many in that generation, a lot of times you will hear the statement that they did not see true Christianity lived out. They heard all the truth, but they didn't see the life lived, and so they don't think that it really works. When we are entering this battle for souls, we need to allow God to make us an example of his truth, not just a lot of great sounding words, but a life that is truly radiant because it's a life that is yielded fully to Jesus Christ. When I first began to have a burden to reach young women for Christ, I kind of took the wrong approach at different times. Girls would ask me what I felt about a certain issue or why I was living a certain way. And it was really tempting for me, especially as a young woman, to just get up on a soapbox and start preaching at them and saying all these brilliant, wonderful, biblical arguments, but really not showing the heart of God for them. And a lot of times those conversations didn't go anywhere or it just kind of ended with sort of a disagreement or an argument. And it really didn't bring glory to God, even though I was saying a lot of the right things and speaking a lot of truth. It took me a while to recognize that the right approach for making an impact is what that famous quote says, preach Christ at all times and if necessary, use words. My life needed to be the example. My life needed to be the message first and foremost. My words were only a backup to the life that they had seen me live out. And as I began to really focus on that, this needs to be about 
my living out my relationship with Christ in the practical areas of my life and not doing that to showcase to anyone, but to recognize that being consistent and focusing on my own soul, my own obedience, and not just trying to be like everyone around me, but following the path that he had set before me in a very obedient and consistent way, that was going to make a bigger impact than getting on a soapbox ever would. And girls began to see me live these things out in my life. And they started to seek me out and say, I noticed you're not doing this or you're doing this or you're, you have this going on in your life. Can you tell me more about that? And I found that I didn't have to force the truth down their throat. They saw something in my life that made them want to know more. And if you look at those who have made the biggest impact in Christian history, that is the pattern. People seek them out. They see something, they hear something in that person's life. They see Jesus and they want to know more. 1 Timothy 4.12 commands us to set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And that is a tall order, and it can only be accomplished when we are fully yielded to the Spirit of God and His enabling grace lives that life through us. Set-apart living will make others uncomfortable at times. I can remember one time a, a woman's ministry leader at a church saying that my message of radically following after Jesus was too extreme because it would cause these women to have to change their lifestyle if they actually listened to it. And that, you know, she used the excuse that, well, we need to be a witness to the culture. And if we if we don't live like the culture is living, we won't really be a witness to them. As I study that in scripture, I begin to recognize that the Bible is very clear. Being set apart for Jesus Christ is not a hindrance to our Christian witness. In fact, being set apart for him is our Christian witness. People don't need to just see us living the way the rest of the world lives. They need to see something better that we have to live for, a radiance, a joy, a peace, a love that is not circumstantial, that is consistent, and that is not even human, that is supernatural, because we have gotten out of the way and Jesus is shining through us. So ask God to make you into a discipler that leads by example. Another practical is to blend truth with humility. This is a great way of communicating truth in a Christ-like way. I love the example of the Apostle Paul because he was very confident in his relationship with Christ. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. But he was also very humble. He said, I have not already attained. I have not already been made perfect. So he recognized that he was not a finished product, but he also recognized that he was headed somewhere after Jesus. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he was very bold with truth, but he also was very humble. And I love that blend of truth and humility. I have found it very comforting to remember when I'm discipling others that no matter who we're burden for, no matter who we're seeking to reach with truth, the root problem they're dealing with is always the same sin. Their issues may seem complex and something we can't relate to, but it all boils down to sin. And the solution to that is always the same, and it's Jesus Christ. And that knowledge has helped me so much in being bold and yet humble in speaking truth rather than getting caught up in the fact that, oh, this person's issues seem so complicated. It really boils down to the problem of sin and the solution of Jesus Christ. We should never compromise or dilute the truth of God, but it always needs to be communicated in a loving, gracious, God-honoring way. I have found one of the best ways to do this is to share my own story, testimonies from my own life of how God has personally worked in my heart on my spiritual journey to set me free from the controlling power of sin, temptation, fear, and how his truth prevailed in those situations. And I found that 
rather than just talking at them and preaching at them, really walking on that journey with them and talking about what I have walked through, what God is currently walking me through, how truth is being applied to these different areas of my life. It really helps them realize that I am not some finished product that has it all together, but yet I do have that attitude that says, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not coming in with this approach of saying, well, I don't really know what's true. I don't really know which end is up. And that is a popular way of trying to witness today, which is really crazy to think about. We, we have the truth and we need to be bold and strong in that truth. But at the same time, we need to recognize that we are not the source of that truth. Jesus Christ is and we're trying to point others to him. We are on this journey with them. And another way we can do this in addition to sharing tidbits from our own life, sharing our own story is to ask really pointed questions like, do you have a desire to know God? What do you think might be hindering your relationship with God? If the time is right, if, it, if it's appropriate to do that. But a lot of times getting them to talk and share, if they, if they sense a genuine love and concern on our part, they will begin to open up and it will open up tremendous doors to begin saying, let's see what the word of God has to say about this, or here's how God has used his truth to set me free in this particular area. So focus on blending truth with humility and allow God to show you what that means for you in these different situations that you might be facing. And then lastly, learn how to share truth and not trends. It is very common, as I mentioned earlier, to approach discipleship or mentoring with kind of a flimsy approach to truth and be more psychology-based or more life coach-based than truth-based. Amy Carmichael said, if I blunt the edge of truth, speaking not right things, but smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. There is a huge temptation in the church today to become like the world in order to reach them. Just as I mentioned, that women's ministry leader, that was her entire approach was let's just be as much like the culture as possible and then maybe we'll have a witness upon them. And you see that in the popular evangelical circles today. You see church services that are more like rock concerts than church services. You see people reaching out to the community with like a beer and brat thing in the parking lot. You see Xboxes and Sunday schools, Starbucks and church lobbies, which isn't always necessarily bad, but a lot of times we are trying too much to lure them in with cultural pop culture means rather than the truth of Jesus Christ. There is that temptation in modern discipleship to try to become culturally sensitive and relevant, but we need to remember that non-Christians are not rejecting Christianity because we aren't enough like the culture as the church. They are rejecting Christianity because we as the church are too much like the culture. All too often, there isn't anything different about our lives, nothing that proves that we have found something better to live for than temporary pleasure, and nothing that they see that says we have something worth dying for. Non-believers are going to be drawn to Jesus Christ when they see something real and powerful and far beyond what pop culture could ever hope to offer. As Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I have found that to be such an incredible tool for discipleship. When he is lifted up, he draws them to himself. It's not about having all the right words prepared or being culturally relevant or learning how to be an expert life coach. If Jesus is lifted up in your life, those around you, those souls that you are burdened for will be drawn to him, will be drawn to his truth. So focus on lifting him up more than on trying to be exciting or interesting or culturally relevant or have all of these incredible uh, bells and whistles to try to draw them in. Jesus needs to be the attraction. 
So in summary, I want to remind you that there is a spiritual battle raging over the lives all around you today. And we really have two choices. We can either ignore that spiritual battle and go about our own self-focused lives, or we can say yes to God's call to aggressively, proactively engage in that battle for souls for the glory of Jesus Christ. You may not feel qualified. You may not feel like you even know where to begin, but simply begin with that willingness that says, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I'm available to you. Begin to work through me to reach these souls with your light and your love. Let's make a decision together today to enter that battle for souls by letting Jesus Christ be lifted high in our lives. That is the only way to truly make an eternal impact. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We'll continue with our Christ-centered mentoring series in continued episodes and get even more practical on what Christ-centered discipleship looks like. These are foundational truths that we need to have a clear understanding of if we are going to win the battle for souls today. If you'd like to go deeper into living a Christ-centered life, go to setapartgirl.com and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.